0: have a track record if you don't have a track record build one right and when i say build a track record you don't if you're a newbie that's just probably 25 years old and you're getting into this build trust with people around your circle of influence that and get the education that is needed to actually go raise capital you don't want to sound like someone who does not know what what the deal is about when you go to raise capital you want to know everything about the deal and you should be able to stand behind the deal. Welcome to The Foundry, where leaders are forged daily. Each week we investigate themes of leadership, entrepreneurship, and mindset with some of the greatest minds in real estate. And now, the data scientist of real estate, George Roberts.
1: Welcome back, investors. A big shout out to Feedspot, who just featured the Foundry as number 22 on the Top 70 Apartment Investing Podcasts. Welcome back, investors. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kranti Panam, Director of Capital at Four Oaks Capital. Kranti owns over 2,000 units as an active investor. In addition, he is a tech entrepreneur, who is the founder of three tech companies and a passive investor in two more. Kranti is host of the fabulous Mind Your Data podcast that focuses on how to apply data science to business. And today he's coming to you from beautiful San Diego, where he resides. Welcome to the show, Kranti.
0: Thanks, George. You know, Great to have be on the show and thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, as alluded before, when we spoke, leadership is one area that has always intrigued me a lot and I love talking about it and I love the the aspect that the show is about how leaders are forged daily.
1: Yeah, well thank you and you're the perfect guest because another thing you have is entrepreneurial ventures outside of real estate. So real estate is very exciting to our audience but we also love entrepreneurship on the show because I mean, you just don't get there where you need to be. You don't get to scale and you don't get to have the experience if you don't focus on leadership, entrepreneurship, and mindset. So we're definitely going to hit all three of those themes today.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: All right. Well, hey, you know, I can't stand those podcasts that start off with puffball questions. So let's tear right into it uh, with the hard hitting material. So, so Kranzi, do you ever have any bad days out there in San Diego?
0: Bad days in San Diego is not normal in terms of weather, if I would say. know, um, yeah, a lot of things in San Diego, the big reason why I live here is probably because of that. But to your question, in terms of bad days from a work standpoint, you know, every everyone has bad days. It's just how you come back and work uh, on what you need to focus on. And a lot of it is in terms of how you come back And how you respond to your bad times is just, I'm going to give you an example of, you know, when, when we moved here, it's, it was always sunny and beautiful last year. It's not been that great, but I don't think we could just harp on, you know, having San Diego, having bad weather and probably people leaving. That's not going to happen. We always adjust. We always make changes and we move forward. You know, that's, that's the thing.
1: All right. Awesome. Good stuff. And I'd love to ask you now, we do have a lot of real estate people in the audience. Mm-hmm. Love to ask you about what you're investing in right now and where you're investing. Tell us about your markets and why you pick them. Ideally, tell us some of the data behind those markets. I think we'd really love to, to get into that sort of deeper.
0: Yeah, great question. And that's something that we've looked at very, very closely for many years. We invest predominantly in Southeast, like uh, a lot of operators do. It's just a matter of, you know, why we do it. Obviously, we look at job growth. We need look at population growth, migration trends. We also look at the number of employers moving to those markets. And I'm going to give you an example, right? A lot of the Silicon Valley um, employers have moved down South. There's where I live, there's um, many employers that open shops in Austin, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, the Research Triangle, RTP, Atlanta, T-Mobile moved from a majority of their operations and and things like that. So we actually look at those migratory trends and we look at what is good in that market. Is it dependent on single employers? Is it dependent on multiple employers? When I first started, I started investing in South Carolina, which I think is, is a phenomenal market, both North and South Carolina. Are really good markets. Uh, now we're predominantly focused on Atlanta as a market. And the reason is, you know, Atlanta has always been one of the best markets, consistently ranked, I wouldn't say top 10, but consistently ranked as top, the top markets to invest in. It's grown at a steady pace, it's not skyrocketed. And next, we don't see those big, massive uh, improvements and then the de- acceleration, deceleration cycles. It's always been consistent. There's a lot of good factors that go with it. Obviously, the weather is a good factor. People like moving there. Jobs are always there. The it's a it's pretty good from a taxes standpoint. And not to be political, but you know, where land laws, landlord laws are a little more landlord-friendly compared to California, because you know. I live here but I don't invest here obviously when I started because my dollar didn't go really far obviously you know everything in San Diego is is expensive but more importantly there's a lot of uh rules around rent control eviction um and things like that but this market is one of the best performing markets still with all of these factors but the reason I looked at going southeast was because you know when you want to buy quality assets and you have limited amount of money as when any investor starts their journey, they're not going to have a, a lot of money unless you're a successful entrepreneur that, that has a lot of disposable income. So that's the reason when I first started, I started looking at other markets. I've invested in Phoenix, Tucson, and towards the Southeast.
1: Yeah, those are all great markets and also great That you're sort of willing to pivot and go towards Atlanta. North Carolina's got plenty of great markets, Mm -hmm. but again, can't say enough great things about Atlanta still growing and uh, lots of good reasons to believe that it will. Well, hey, uh, you know, I have an observation that I think some of the most successful real estate investors have an outside income stream that they can put into real estate. Mm -hmm. And we'll go into your tech experience shortly, but. Uh, would you agree with that statement? What What do you have to add?
0: Yeah, I and I would agree 100 percent. Right, real estate is a great avenue to preserve wealth, create wealth on a consistent basis. But you need to have the income to start investing into it. Right, you either need to have some some sort of high paying job or some sort of a income that kind that you could save and then invest into real estate. It will make you rich for sure, guaranteed over a period of time, but you need to sustain that period of time. And you know, when if my original journey started in the technology space, I started as a technology consultant, built uh, technology companies, exited a few, still run a few, you know, I keep I'm an avid investor into the technology space. Um, we're creating our own private equity fund where we expect to invest in companies that do technology services. So you need that income to keep growing your real estate portfolio. So I take a portion of my income and then keep investing that into real estate over a period of time.
1: Yeah, well, that's a great outlook. And and I know another way that your tech background has benefited you is through a deeper understanding of data and analysis. And I'd like to get sort of into the numbers and your projections for the real estate market so considering the multifamily market outlook for 2023 we're already here at the end of june as we record this what do you say is the best and worst case scenario for say the 6 12 18 months from here out
0: i say the best case scenario for real estate if you depends on where which cycle you're in are you in a cycle where you've already bought and you're waiting or you're actually going to put money in if you're going to put money in this is the best time. I mean, there's going to be. We're talking about maybe a couple more Fed rate hikes. The report that came out today had positive GDP growth, pretty strong uh, unemployment. Unemployment still remains low, so that's a signal that the Fed will maybe push the rates a couple times before they actually halt, which will make most of these deals that are with interest rate caps or you know in the rate caps and insurances and a number of different factors where in the last two or three years, they were overpriced. And now those all those people that bought have to sell the assets just to cover ground. You will see those in the next six to 12 months. Again, that, going back to the point of, will there be price correction? Absolutely. In terms of the type of asset, quality assets, which are cash flowing, which have been managed well, and which, will, which are performing. I think most of the pe- people will keep them, probably not sell them until the rate starts to go down. But if you have an asset that you bought four years ago, five years ago, you're still good. I mean, you could even sell now because th- that asset has been performing well. You've been managing well. And most of these multifamily deals, if not the construction space, from a value add space that we operate in, are a management play. It becomes a function of how well you know your underwriting and how well you can apply your underwriting to your operations, right? It is not a function of, you know, I bought at the right, right value. You know, the three factors that pretty much go into a deal, value, interest rate, and location. If you got all of them right, your deal's gonna perform and you're, you're good. And from a projection standpoint that I, I would say we're really bullish in the next six to 12 months to buy more because of where the rates will land and because the cap rates have started to kind of push up significantly. So you're not we've not seen this in the last seven, eight years, I believe, that the cap rates are actually pushing higher and higher because of all the economic factors that are going on. So if you want to invest, absolutely get education, be ready. This is the time.
1: So I like it. I'm hearing a lot of great things in there. So the first is that you got to take a long view with investing. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the only way to do it. If you're just buying and selling, that's not investing. Uh, You should be looking for value and looking for those longer term time horizons. And that even though there could be more pain in the next six to 12 months, you're not telling people to take the foot off the gas. This could be a great time to buy if you're out there and you're looking to buy right, and you have to have the proper financing in place, and you have to have the right location. Those three things coincide. This could be a very great time to buy.
0: Yeah, can't agree more. And to your point, the, the longer you can hold any asset over time, they all work out. I mean, look at assets that were bought in 2008, you know, or 2006, seven, eight, even when the, the top of the cycle that if you could hold it for like 12 years to 2020, 2021, you would still come out fine. I mean, what it's co- going to be is a value of your opportunity cost is do you have the outlook and can you sustain? And that's where the earlier question of, do you have the income that, you, that will help you sustain this opportunity that you probably have or not? And that'll, that's why with real estate, most successful real estate people always have other sources of income coming in because the cyclical nature of the business.
1: Yeah, outstanding. Uh, definitely huge advantage to have those multiple sources of income in, uh, in multifamily or in real estate in general. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, well, I think that we're definitely going to hit on leadership here And I know that one of the things that you value greatly in leadership is hiring the right people. Everybody who's been in business knows that that's a huge thing. The importance of finding the right people can't be overstated, but I love your hiring philosophy. People first, position second. So can you explain what that means to you and how do you hire people into your organization?
0: Great question. And I think that that philosophy has always worked for us, um, for me in particular, where when we look at people, we we don't look at a person. when When we try to hire for a position, even if we see a person that's not fit for that particular position, but we've seen a consistent record of success or a consistent record of growth, and we've seen that they've actually done valuable work or they have been in a in a situation where practically the entire company ran on them, you know, we like to hire them even without a position because we believe it's people first, and then we can map them to positions that that will always be there in the organization. And I learned this concept from you know, good to great, built to last, the book that you know I, is is one of the best books that I have read, where they talk about people first and then positions next, you need to have the right people in the right seats to actually scale and grow your business. And that comes with, and it just not comes with, you know, I want to go out and hire people. You can never do that. Your mindset always has to be, where do I find the next best talent? And you're always looking to both internally and externally, looking at conversations that you're having with good people saying, hey. Who else do you know that we should probably talk to? If you have a a five-star rated employee, you can always say, hey, who else do you know that you think is really good that we can have a conversations with? Recruiting as a business owner should be a, a, a thing that you do all the time. Not do it when you need it, but do it all the time. And actually what helps is if you have a culture that fosters referrals, If you have a culture within your organization that everyone falls in love with the organization, they're going to bring you the best talent possible where you are not recruiting as much, but they're actually bringing in the people that say, hey, we love our company. It is a company that you would want to work for. And you actually have a pipeline that you've built over the years. And that holds good for especially sales positions, because those are one of the hardest to hire and and find you really need to actually always keep talking, looking, talk to potential customers, talk to customers, talk to vendors, talk to employees, talk to everyone possible to see who their favorite salesperson has been and and if you can just have a conversation, even if they're not available. Yeah,
1: absolute gold there. Now, I know one of the other things that you do in real estate particularly is you're known for capital raising. Mm -hmm. So for all of the newer capital raisers out there, what would you say would be your biggest tip for breaking into raising capital for real estate?
0: Biggest tip that I would say for, you know, raising capital for deals is one, have a track record. If you don't have a track record, build one, right? And when I say build a track record, you don't if you're a newbie that's just probably 25 years old and you're getting into this, build trust with people around your circle of influence that, and get the education that is needed to actually go raise capital. You don't want to sound like someone who does not know what, what the deal is about when you go to raise capital. You want to know everything about the deal and you should be able to stand behind the deal. When I say stand behind the deal, most of the deals that we do, and I tell people in most cases that there are friends and family and all that, is hey, if I'm so confident in the deal that if the deal doesn't perform, I will perform, right? It's that level of confidence you should have in what you're trying to do to actually go raise capital. And capital raising, most people think is oh, I all only raise capital from you know people that I know, people that I you know touch, feel, uh, get into contact with. But if you if you really want to take capital raising as a profession, you should know how to raise capital even without the people that are around you. You have to build those systems, processes, technology usage, all of that, and actually build those systems and processes to allow you to raise capital, even when you're sleeping. And that, that means you have to build a brand around yourself. And you know, like you, like you do, George, there's a lot of things that everyone has a speciality in that they can build a brand in And you have to really create that branding for yourself, you know, self-brand yourself as an expert in certain areas that people will follow you. And it could be, you could be an expert at capital raising, but you need to have either a core group that you teach people, or you basically run uh, a podcast, or you could basically run a Facebook group, whatever it is. If you don't establish your brand, that's the other thing that you can't, you can never raise capital because people... Capital raising comes with a lot of trust. And if people need to trust, people need to associate themselves and they will only associate if you're a brand.
1: All right, great. I love it. And another thing that I've noticed about your real estate career, you're not just in multifamily, but I believe you've also got some shopping malls as well. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us about other types of commercial real estate that you're in and uh, why, why you chose those facets of real estate?
0: So when I first started my real estate journey, I was, you know, I was obviously a tech entrepreneur working full-time on building my own companies. And I took my income that I generated to invest in real estate. My One of my first investments in real estate, like everyone else, was I'm going to buy a couple condos. So I have a couple mm-hmm. rental apartments that that are still around that kick cash flow out um, that do very well. And then I started to graduate. We into office buildings and we, and I did really well from the areas that I bought my office buildings. The one thing that I learned over the years is as much as I don't like to invest in California or San Diego, it is always advisable to invest where you're, where you're really close to when you're first starting off, right? It gets your foot in the door. You kind of tip your toes in the water a little bit, and it helps you understand how you know, debt works, how, you know, what sort of equity you need to bring to typical commercial deals and what sort of, it also helps from a lender standpoint because most lenders love to see people that are local, right? If you don't have their track record, it is always difficult because even the lending market becomes a tough landscape for you to kind of work. And then I, once those, after offices, I looked at retail because, you know, I had a group that that was investing with retail. I invested with them. I still love retail, you know, for the cash flow that it kicks out. If you buy retail at a particular location and that is internet-resistant customers, grocery-anchored tenants, smaller strip centers that, you know, really serve communities, I think you will still do great. And I've always done very well with retail. I then graduated to multifamily and I've always not gone back. But, you know, any type of real estate asset class, if you, like I said, buy right in the right debt terms, and if it cash flows enough to pay, pay off the debt and pay off the expenses and whatever is remaining, you know, you will still come out fine. But if you don't go deep into a certain asset class, you can never have expertise. So I once I started looking at multifamily and part of the reason why I stuck to multifamily obviously was, you know, the, the rental growth in, in retail is very constrained. It's about two to 3% that you get. And sometimes you only get it once in five years, right? So it doesn't even beat inflation. So when your inflation is running hot and people talk about CPI being 4%, 5%, it's really not that. I mean, everyone knows what it is, right? It's, one hundred percent, much more than that. Your rental in rental income starts to actually mimic at least inflation, but in retail that doesn't happen. You're at a fixed three percent or a two percent, where your rental bumps are not that high. There's obviously issues because when a tenant with multifamily, when a tenant leaves, typically if you do a good job, you can put someone in within thirty to forty-five days if you can turn a unit, get them rented, and all that. But with retail. The vacancies are a lot longer. It takes, typically in commercial real estate, takes longer to put tenants in because these are actual businesses, and it does take longer. So,
1: yeah, outstanding point. Those that maybe in multifamily uh, need to realize when you're signing that five or ten or greater number of years lease, that's it's it's very different, very very different than just coming in doing some unit turns and getting some new people in. Well, I know that one of your values uh, from talking to people that have worked with you in the past uh, is networking and education. Mm -hmm. Tell us how that fits into your business plans.
0: So every business owner has to network, right? Networking is probably the most key component for any business owner. You know, if you're not talking to the other entrepreneurs in your market, you're going to die. I mean you you really don't know what's going on. So it is networking comes with a level of coaching and training and communication that you have to provide in a conversation. No one wants to talk to you if they if you don't add value. You know there could be meetups that you go, you know, you can go to seminars, events, conferences, but if you don't provide some sort of value to a conversation, that conversation is not going to last a long time. So it really works both ways where you want to network, obviously bring value where you can coach, train, um, and bring people into learning new skills. That, and again, goes back to how much time you, you're you actually spending on your business in learning your business. And part of my reason why I want to do my podcast was it was a project where I stopped learning about my own business and I was really intrigued to learn how do, how do other businesses operate? How do they look at their own information to make decisions? Because it, it was a training ground. My podcast is more of a training ground for myself, not for more the other people, because I started no- noticing that you know there was a limit to networking, limit to training and coaching that I was getting. I was not getting an outside perspective from other industries. So that's what I look at. And as far as coaching and training, I think your best self comes out when you start to mentor someone, you know? If you want to coach someone and I've done voluntarily coaching people because it's not for that person, it's for myself. Because if I want to be a coach, I have to be really good at something. And, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, which I probably never actually fully applied 10,000 hours to anything. Um, But what it does is when you're actually running you know, a Facebook group or a podcast or any any kind of mind, you know, informational session, you actually have to be well versed with that information to run that particular show. So it helps you get trained. So I think that's, that's something that you have to remember. Both of these aspects are going to benefit immensely if you provide more value to other people.
1: Right. Well, that's amazing. And I want to just wrap it up for this first part of our podcast interview. And listeners, stay tuned. We're going to have a second episode with Kranti drop on Thursday of this week. So you want to stay tuned. But before we go, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with our audience. And also just want to ask you, what is the one very best way that our listeners can get in touch with you?
0: So I'm I'm active on social media. I have a website, Krantipanam.com, our our real estate syndication companies, forexcapital.com. And you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of those social media platforms. Outstanding. Thank you, Kranti. All right. Thanks, George.